I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. And today, we are going to talk about sex. Sex and anxiety. Well, actually, my guest, Shan Boudram, is going to talk about sex. I'm going to ask the questions. Actually, these are questions that you asked me. And this is not necessarily from my listener emails. That's what I found so urgent about the questions in a way, because I did give out the email address to this podcast, anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. Please send an email if you have any questions that you want solved, if you have any anxiety tips to give our listeners. Send an email and I could read it on air. But before I even gave out that email address, I was getting DMs on my social media from people saying what what they wanted me to talk about on the podcast, topics that they hoped would be upcoming. And a few people were writing about their anxiety around sex. Somebody just wrote, I have anxiety around sex. Help. Usually don't want to DM people like that back. You know, I just gathered the info and I'm paraphrasing your questions on behalf of all of you. But a lot of people obviously have have asked for episodes about relationships and anxiety. And we, we did cover those in February. But there were a lot of people that seemed to be really suffering in the area of sexuality, whether it is they're married, but ever since the pandemic, they don't feel like having sex anymore. I mean, they're having anxiety around the conversation of how do I even talk about this? Does this mean we're going to end up getting a divorce? People who are anxious just about sex in general, People who are anxious about getting on dating apps because, you know, maybe they watch too much true crime and they know they know what's out there or what could be lurking out there. You know, anxieties from the very real to the kind of imagined. And as Shan says, you know, anxiety is a part of life. So it's obviously going to be a part of sex because sex is a part of life. And it's a part of life whether you're having it or not. And that can cause anxiety. I mean, it's 
you're standing there with your clothes off, I assume, in front of someone, even if it's someone you have been with forever, that can still cause anxiety. There's performance anxiety. There's what will they think of me anxiety. There's something called uh, arousal confusion that, that I get into with Shan about, is this excitement or anxiety? So I'm hoping that you get a lot out of this episode. I know that you will. I just knew, you know what, this is, this is not my area of, of expertise. So let's have an expert answer some of your questions that I don't even know if you thought I would say on the show. I didn't say anyone's names. I tried to paraphrase these. These were down deep DMs that, that got through, that got to me. I mean, they made their way to me. I don't mean they got to me like emotionally. And hopefully you're listening and this will help. So Shan Boudram is a sex and intimacy educator. She mashes up sexology and psychology as a certified intimacy educator. Her podcast, Lovers and Friends, tackles a lot of subjects about sex. And she's got a lot to say about anxiety in relation to sex and relationships on this week's episode. But she is kicking ass. She is everywhere. Um, As she calls herself, she's kind of like Dr. Ruth meets Rihanna. She wants to teach people to be more competent and confident. And she's got a YouTube channel, over 70 million YouTube views. She's been on so many shows. She's been written up in the New York Times, Forbes, Time Magazine. She's now a relationship and sex expert on Peacock's new dating show called X-Rated, hosted by Andy Cohen. She's also an intimacy expert and workshop facilitator on Netflix's show, Too Hot to Handle. So you can find out about Shan. I will put the links to her best-selling books, to her podcast, to her website, All of that is sitting right there right now in the uh, links in the show notes. And let's see what she has to say about people who are just anxious about sex. Let's listen to my conversation with Shan. Shan, you are a um, sexologist. You have studied psychology. You're a certified intimacy educator. Am I getting this right? Would you please tell me in my audience exactly what that is? I thought it would be more interesting coming from you than than me saying in the intro. Yes. um, The easiest way to think about this is a sexologist is to sex what a nutritionist is to food. So it's the study of how sex interacts with people. And you can choose a discipline of psychology, of biology, of wellness, of pharmaceutical, physiological. It can be from an educational standpoint. Uh, as a sexologist and uh, intimacy educator, I'm a public-facing sex educator. So my goal is to take information from way more smarter people who work in researches, <laughs> uh, research centers and labs and then try to find ways to make that interesting and accessible to the general public. And what would someone who isn't front-facing, like what would they be doing as a career? Would that be the person that taught me sex ed in high school? No, it should be. (laughs) Um, But it's more than likely your gym teacher or somebody who was just thrust into that role who has no idea, you know, about language and about the various components of sexuality themselves and didn't get good sex education growing up. And then also now just was given this textbook and told to read verbatim out of it. It should, I know if you went to a great school, That'd be amazing. I don't know one person who had a sexologist teach their sex ed class, but that should be a thing. But there are definitely sex educators who do write curriculum, mostly for more private schools um, or for chartered schools. So that is a pathway to take to be on the educational route. Um, ASECT, which is uh, the number one certification board uh, for sex, sexologists and sex educators in America, they, you know, have a sex educator realm and those usually speak to people who are either working in education or are doing one-to-one work. Got it. Well, since none of us grew up with someone like you in our schools, this is probably why people are emailing my podcast because I'm just a comedian with anxiety. I mean, that's what my podcast is. I am certainly (laughs) no expert. And, you know, I was thinking I need, I need you to help. Um, And so somebody wrote me and it was just very generic. I mean, honestly, they didn't give me many details, but they wrote and said, I need you to do an episode about sex and anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety about having sex. 
I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but how do you begin with such a generic question like that? Like, where does your mind go first? Like, what do you, what are they asking? Yeah, I think our mind should go to empathy because there are a billion different places that our mind goes, which lets us know that this is a place that is extremely anxiety inducing. And there are so many different facets and ways that this can be very stressful uh, and mentally painful for people. So the fact of the matter is, is that that we don't know where to start, that just lets us know that there are so many conversations that still have yet to be had publicly. Yeah. What I'm guessing is they're probably simply asking, like, I don't know what to do, as though there's a right and wrong to do, and it makes them anxious. And it's like, unlike someone who's saying, oh, I don't like to fly in an airplane. I'm not going to go do some, you know, you're not going to be with your, you know, partner and go, no, I need to do some deep breathing in the corner and just a 10 minute meditation. I mean, so if someone is saying like, look, I don't know what I'm doing, or I hope I won't be bad if my heart starts racing or whatnot, what can someone do physically in the moment if they're, you know, right in front of someone, they're about to take their clothes off or however people want to do it. Is there, is there some quick tip? Yeah, I think meet yourself where you are. So if you're, there's, life is not a rom-com, nor is it a porn. So you don't mm. have to follow a sexual script that you've seen before. You don't have to follow a certain timeline. If you are on a time crunch, that could also be what's leading to some of the anxiety. And that could be favorable. Like, I mean, there's a difference but in arousal, right? There is excitement and then there is anxiousness. And so if it's not mm. excitement, it's anxiousness. And I'd probably be like, hey, these are not the conditions that are favorable for me. And then obviously uh, high anxiety can interfere with sexual performance and sexual pleasure in general. So that's even more of a reason to be like, these are not my conditions and that's okay because <laughs> there's other activities. So uh, I'm not like, you know, I- I'm feeling really stressed out. I don't want to have sex. Let me just quickly give myself a one, two, three mantra or a woosah ear massage. And then I'm going to force myself in it. Instead, I would just pause on that and then think about like what action, because sex is about pleasure. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the unique places in life where you really don't have to do it. And there's health benefits for sure. And there is intimacy benefits for sure. But that's not, you know, it's not like paying your bills or like making sure that you're car is registered at the DMV. Like it's, it's, it's not even eating, right? Like it's something that you engage in, hopefully to improve your health and your happiness. And if the way that you're engaging with it is not ticking those boxes, then don't engage. It's okay. Like we don't need you to procreate. We're all good here on planet earth. <laughs> and furthermore, yeah, the other person that you're with probably doesn't want a partner who's not enthusiastic and relaxed. And that isn't to say I can't get there within our time spent together, I might just need an extra half hour to pause that activity. Um, I have something called turn on triggers where I talk about on my website, how similarly to love languages, we have to acknowledge that not everybody gets their sexual engine revving the exact same way. So it could just be that you are a sapiosexual, which is a fancy term for somebody who just likes to feel mentally connected to people before they feel sexual desire. So what you might require is a conversation where I'm like, I just feel like we just kind of got together and it's all like rush, 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 close off. And I just want to plug into you first as a human. I want you to plug into me. I want to feel like we're connected mentally before that even feels sensual to me to like think about sex. So your anxiety, if it's a medical condition, that's something different. You should talk to your doctor about it. You know, if you've got chronic anxiety. Uh, but if it is situational, then I think it's a warning sign to do something different and not something different like a quick fix band-aid. And don't you think too, I mean, anytime someone's having anxiety, it, it makes us really self-focused, um, you know, anywhere from like, we have to focus on ourselves to calm down all the way to like, we're paranoid, we're worried what the other person is thinking of us. And sex is really kind of the opposite, right? It's It's really about you know, focusing on yourself in the sense that you're going to speak up for like what your needs are, but you really have to focus on another person. And, you know, I I think if someone is anxious being with someone they've never been with sexually for the first time um, is very different than someone who's just for some reason having anxiety around sex when they're already in a relationship with someone. So I feel like, you know, I know it sounds easier said than done. But I feel like if that person is going to be a viable sexual partner for you, it's not really about 
oh, I'm so nervous. I hope I please them. Because like you said, it's not a porn, you know, it's not going to be, oh, I have to do this like flip and this trick and this thing. It's like, if you don't feel you can talk to that person for whatever reason, they might not be a good partner for you. You know, if they're getting a sense that they might be shamed or judged, then like that's never going to work, right? That's that's not you being anxious so much as it's you being aware of the fact that you're not being accepted. Yeah, I think going back to what you said at the top about that person writing that question in, there's just so many iterations. And so you have to be open to all possibilities, especially if you're not having the discussion with yourself constantly. So if you're not in tune with yourself in this specific way to be able to decipher the difference between performance anxiety and pressure-based anxiety, then yeah, you kind of have to weigh both, you know, options that are possible for you. But also I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, on a non- chronic mental illness-based way, like anxiety is a natural part of life. It's a healthy part of life. Mm-hmm. And yes, like sex is exciting. You know, it's the risk and reward center of the brain is activated. You've got your cortisol levels are going to go up. You're going to feel um, a rush of dopamine. You're going to feel a rush of adrenaline. So naturally you're going to feel uh, heightened anxiety and heightened self-awareness. And that's not a bad thing. Um, and nor is it a bad you know, sign if I'm nervous about pleasing a partner that isn't always indicative of the person being you know, somebody who's toxic or somebody who's hard to please. It could just be like a natural byproduct of the fact that like I'm about to get naked in front of somebody and try and engage in activity which should result in like maximum pleasure for both of us. And byproduct of that, that kind of makes me a little bit nervous. Um, so it may be one of those things where you kind of have to think about it and you go through that checklist of am I unreasonably nervous? Um, given the circumstances, is it something about me that needs to change? Is it something about the person? Is it something about the environment that needs to change? Do I just need to take a pause altogether and figure this thing out for myself? Um, and what is the cost to me if I try to push through this? And if you can go mm. through that kind of mental checklist really quickly, then hopefully you, fig- you land on the on the side of what's best and healthiest for you. I was watching one of your videos on YouTube and you were talking specifically about how people can get over their fears and anxieties about doing um, like video sex, like, you know, like being intimate on video. This is more during the pandemic. And but your advice was great. I think it applies to any situation, which is let awkwardness be part of it. Right. Like it's it's okay to laugh during it or before or whenever. I mean, we all feel awkward. I'm sure I would be so happy if someone within reason, approached me saying that they felt awkward. It would open me up to be like, oh, good, you know, me too. I can I can at least share in this with you. And usually I feel like that kind of destroys any awkwardness right away. It doesn't usually hang around after that. Yeah, I think humor is a great way to diffuse as well. Like if that's something that you're comfortable with, obviously you are, but it is an incredible way to express anxiety in a way that can be really bonding for people. And again, yeah, life is not a porn. It's not a rom-com. It doesn't have to be scripted. It doesn't have to be perfect and polished. Nobody is filming this. Maybe they are, but like, you know, there's like, there's nothing that's going to make this like, oh, from here until death do you part, this is going to be a representation of what you're like sexually. So I got to get this right. I got to nail this thing. Um, it's not a gymnastic score. So you can fall outside the line. You can bend your knees. You can do something funky midway through. Like that can actually, to me, um, that's what makes sex good. I uh, always like my husband started out as my F buddy. And I was like looking for a specifically like a strictly sexual partner at the time that he and I got mm. together because I was, I'm from Canada. So I was like, on the fritz of deportation. I just got a long-term relationship, but I was studying sex for, and I was learning these amazing things, but I had no one to practice on. So I was like, I really want to find a partner who I can just have sex with. And I don't know if I'm going to be in the country or what's going to come of me in the next few yeah. months. So I'm not looking for anything that uh, requires any other form of commitment. And the reason why, I ended up choosing my now husband as my like sexual partners because he was just so unscripted and authentic and unafraid of making weird noises, unafraid of saying things or asking questions. And it just made me feel like, wow, I'll never get bored of sex with this person because they're always responding authentically to what's happening and how they feel in the moment. So it's going to be different every time. So there's also something really pleasurable. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that yeah. happens when you release yourself from these scripts. It, like you knew what you wanted, and you put it out there, and it and it went a different way, which is great. But at the very least, I think people should know exactly what they want from a sexual experience. Maybe somebody, I don't know, they want to feel. 
I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of a million different things. Maybe they want it quick and dirty. Maybe they want it to feel like love, even if it's not. Maybe they want an F buddy. I don't know why I'm saying F. I could say fuck. A fuck buddy. Maybe okay. they want a partner. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's sort of like getting clear with what you want so that you can organically and honestly see if what the person you're with matches up with that. And if not, like, okay, no big deal. Everyone can walk away. But I think there is a lot of anxiety to, like, keep someone or keep them interested. And it's like, it shouldn't be based again, like on performance or anything like that. It's, it's, do we both have what the other person needs in a sexual situation? And so rarely is it about like, they're good in bed because of some, you know, thing, what, what works for you might not work for someone else. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to note too, that like knowing what you want is really not an easy feat at all. I don't know if you've ever tried to pick a medical plan before. And they're so fucking confusing because you're like the deductible, the copay, the sign in, right. the maximum amount. Like it's like, and I'm paying this much and then I don't get a dentist. It's all very confusing because you're not accustomed to the language, not used to making those kinds of decisions. And so it's very stressful to figure out it's something simple, like what kind of healthcare needs do you have? But if you're not familiar with the system, you're not familiar with the language, it can be very stressful. So I don't want to discount the fact too, that a lot of people are like, yeah, just like, you know, be clear about what you want and voice what you need, but they've never been given the language to describe that before. They don't even know what the options are. So that in itself is easier said than done, which, you know, is a great point that a lot of the anxiety we face around sexuality in general, just as a result of the fundamental educational gap that we have here, that from the time that we're young, you know, it starts, you know, we're, we're told head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and we don't get a word to describe our genitals until we're like 10, 12 years old. So. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking of our, my dear listener who wrote like just a very generic, like I'm anxious when I have sex. It's like, again, like intuitively I'm feeling the bigger question is I kind of, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, I don't know what I want and and who I am. And like, there's just so much I don't know. And it's like, go back to square one. You know, like for me, if I was, you know, a therapist, I probably would be like, the last thing we need to talk about right now is like what you do the second before your pants drop and you're about to have sex with someone. Like, let's take this back. You know, what are your needs? Do you feel like you're even allowed to have them? Blah, blah, blah. How's your self-esteem? I think it's like, we've, it's probably disappointing to hear sometimes like, oh my God, I got to do all this work, but it's, It's, I don't, it can be as hard as it sounds, but it's kind of the only way through, you know, um, there's no quick, like you said, bandaid for now just do a quick, deep breath and just jump on in there. You know, it's deeper. Um, and I think this stuff brings up a lot. I think that's a great point too, because we're kind of not even told that, right. We're not told that, Hey, it's okay if you don't figure it out after watching one sex in the city season, it's okay if you don't. Figure it out after reading a single book or having one partner, you know, who knew more than you. So we're, we're kind of expecting to get to mastery without the general process that we know applies to literally everything else. Um, And maybe comedy might be even a good example because people are kind of in that space with that. Like it's easy and I'm supposed to just be able to jump into it. And if I'm funny, I should just be able to do this and I should just find a flow with it. It's often as you know, somebody who's a career in this, it's, Literally, the process is not dissimilar, not to undermine doctors, but it's not dissimilar to becoming, you know, an expert in the medical field. Like the time that you need, the scaffolding, the education, the tools, the amount of hours of practice you require before you're actually Mm -hmm. like efficient at it or successful at it. So I think that with sex, there's this idea that one, you're born with it. Two, you should be able to figure it out with like limited exposure and limited information. Um, or three, you can figure it out along the way from people who are just as ignorant and inexperienced as you. We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was. 
before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet, There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Something that another person had written me that they were feeling, and there had been an article about this that I read, I don't remember where it was, but it was like, people are feeling too schlubby post-pandemic to have sex. It was just kind of like a silly article about, you know, people weren't feeling, either they were just disinterested because they'd been used to being alone, sitting on the couch watching TV, or they'd gained weight, or their bodies were out of shape in a different way, or whatever. But somebody had written to me that they were anxious about the fact that they were feeling not attracted to their partner um, ever since the pandemic. And it, it was like they loved spending time with them during the pandemic, but they felt like they're not attracted to them and they're anxious about bringing it up because they're afraid it's just going to snowball and end up being like, we need to get divorced. And so when I was researching you, I was looking at something you said where you talked about arousal confusion. And I know that's not exactly what this... Um, listeners asking, but you had some great insights about just the anxiety of partners that have been together a long time and, and how sex can change. And I, I was just very interested in the arousal confusion. If you, if you think that applies here, or what would you say to this couple? And is the arousal confusion just a, a totally separate topic? No, I mean, it can apply. Basically, it is like, 
my mom said this this morning that um, she's a nurse. And so she's like, on a medical exam, you can't put as a symptom for an illness at nausea, diarrhea, and fatigue, because that applies to everything. So when you experience those <laughs> symptoms, you have to like, there's so many different possibilities. So arousal confusion is somewhat similar to that in that you get um, heightened anxiety or, you know, heightened cortisol in your system. Your adrenaline starts pumping. Your risk and reward center of your brain is activated. Um, you might feel like your fight or flight mode start to activate for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes that is because you're on a roller coaster. Sometimes that's because you are about to have sex and you're horny. Sometimes it's because you're extremely stressed out. So that is to say that when people get into these heightened states, arousal confusion is instead of you acknowledging, oh, I'm just highly stressed right now, you might be like, my body feels really energized. I should have sex. I'm really horny. Um, The Mm. arousal confusion actually came from an experiment that these researchers did where they had people go on a date. One couple went on a date on a bridge that was stable and one couple went on a date on a bridge that was swinging. And in almost all cases, the couple who was on the unstable bridge rated themselves as being more attractive to the person they were on a date with and they rated the date higher. And that's an example of arousal confusion because they're doing something exciting that's getting their adrenaline going. And then as a result of that, they're like this butterflies in my stomach, this feeling like these tingling feelings I have in my fingers must mean I'm really attracted to this person. So it can actually work, you know, just tell your friend to... Um, go on a date with their partner on a roller coaster without buckling themselves in, they might find that their attraction is <laughs> right back in there. Well, I think there's something too, like the anxiety of like, how do I talk about it? And again, it's like, okay, everyone gets married when, you know, they feel like their relationship is at its peak in the sense of, you know, you're my best friend. I can tell you anything. And then when it comes to sex, people shut down and they don't talk because I don't know why. And, you know, I, I don't know even know how she would begin this conversation, I would just, I mean, to me, the best advice I could say is just blurt it out and just say, I'm worried that I'm not feeling attracted to you, but I, I hope it has nothing to do with us or you. I mean, or is that too much? Is that, am I, is that not delicate enough? I mean, you could try like a compliment sandwich, right? So if you wanted to, to do it that way, I would probably do some troubleshooting on my own first because Esther Perel, who's just a great voice in space, and especially if you're in a long-term relationship, is just someone that yeah. everybody should be looking into. And she's accessible and she's got a bunch of free um, therapeutic medium routes that you can engage with. But she just talks about something very simple like, um, you know, intimacy needs closeness and desire needs space. So if we think about desire like fire, you know, if you smother a fire, it goes out. It needs oxygen um, and it also needs new materials that are thrown on top of it to keep it going. So what happens Mm. in intimate relationships is that we end up smothering each other and we don't add anything new into the mix and we wonder why our fire is not burning. So there's some troubleshooting on your own to do there. And it's very likely during the pandemic where, again, like our, our risk and reward center of our brain, which is what's activated when you go to a casino, right? It's the part Mm -hmm. of yourself that doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. And that's very exciting for your brain. So a lot of what attracts us to people in the beginning is this element of the unknown. And that continues for some time, right? Every time, even if I have a established relationship Mm -hmm. with somebody, when I call, are they going to pick up? You know, are they going to enjoy the sex with me? Are they going to find this new lingerie that I bought arousing? So there's still some gamble of the unknown, but the more that you become close with somebody, the least that there is unknown. I know if I come on to you, you're going to come on to me. I know you're going to start off with a kiss on the neck and trail down to my nipples. Like I know everything. We kind of know the cadence. I know um, that there's no risk with you, right? Like I know if I yeah. try, I'm going to succeed. So I also know what you're going to eat for dinner and I know what you're going to wake up and put on in the morning. And so it's in that monotony and predictability that you don't have an opportunity to be excited by your partner anymore. So I kind of would reflect on like, what was it? What environments were you in when you were first attracted to your partner? And do you guys put yourself in the position to do that? So if you first saw your partner in a club and they were dancing and then they were confident in their flow, they had their friends around and like there was something like really cool about them. Is your partner ever in an environment like that around you where you see that side of them thrive again? When I think about my husband and like what like turns me on, like what about, you know, what do I think about when I think about him being attractive? It's him looking over his shoulder. 
And like, what is that indicative of? Like, oh, he's yeah. doing something else. He's on the move. And he like looks back to like, oh, okay, cool. You're, you're here. Like, oh, you're coming? Like, all right, I'm moving forward anyways. There's something that's independent about that. And so I try to find environments or ways where there's separateness, where I feel like he's this independent guy who once in a while looks back, like, are you coming or not? And like, that's what's sexual. That's, that's, that's sexy to me. And if I start yeah. to feel like we're in a rut, I need, I need to find those over the shoulder moments. You had said something um, about, in something I was watching about, you know, with couples where maybe one person has anxiety and it doesn't have to be about like the relationship or anything, but it's, you said it's not um, that one person has anxiety and one doesn't, but it's like the compatibility of how you, um, the coping mechanisms, like, Mm -hmm. like, so it's not like you guys have to have the same anxiety or, but, but like, are your coping mechanisms compatible? Can you, can you talk more about that? Because I feel like that is this super specific little nugget that, I've never heard anyone really talk about that. It's like you almost kind of go hunting for people with the same damage, but it doesn't really matter, right? As long as the coping mechanisms are compatible. Well, well, that's actually a a psychological principle that comes with just the different ways that people manage stress. And so Uh as we got into the pandemic, it was fascinating because we had the same stress almost across the board, right? Like we, everything was shut down. There was unknowns. There was fear about our health and, uh, fear about our future. So we were all kind of going through a very similar stress, but that was manifesting in people in really, really different ways. And so that's where I thought this theory was so helpful in explaining mm. the different ways. You know, there's forms like the distractor, which are people who look for, you know, whether it be a vice um, or a hobby, you know, when they get really stressed out, they want to do something to get their mind off of it. But they're actually people who are wallowers, right? When they get stressed out, they want to research. They want to do, and we saw them in the pandemic, people who like knew every possible thing about the coronavirus and all the different, you know, theories on it and conspiracy theories. Like the more that they knew, the more that they felt that that was very relaxing for them. But for the person who's a distractor, that actually is the opposite. That heightens their anxiety because they're looking for an escape from it. So I thought that that was a really important thing to look Mm. at just to be mindful that, you know, because we can feel like they're actually part of their problem, but instead they're just going about their solution in a way that's not compatible with us. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up... (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. 
This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of people that write me, their partner has anxiety. They don't. The, the main thing they want to know is not really... It's like more about like, what do I say so they listen to me so they handle it? It's never like, how can I listen? You know, and I would assume that would be a huge part of the solution is learning about your partner's anxiety coping mechanism style. I think what's important about that too is acknowledging that there's not a better, more superior way. I would say probably like distraction, especially with vices. And there was a rise in people's alcohol consumption over the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So... Those are never the ones that you want to say like, yeah, you should do this one. So there's definitely, and there's people who lash out, there's dumpers, right? People who carry all the stress or they collect all the stress all day long and then they get to the person that they're most close with and then they dump all their stress and anxiety on that person. And that's not a healthy Mm. way either. We have to also acknowledge people aren't really taught about successful ways of managing stress. I always say this, that like anger management is this class reserved for people who hit children with cars where it's like, no, when you're in kindergarten and you want to stab a kid because you took a a crayon for the first time, you should be pulled aside and like started having these conversations around like anger is a natural feeling. And when you have that feeling, what are some healthy alternatives and what are your triggers? Mm. And like everybody should have the benefit of these emotional regulation classes, but we don't have them. So that to be said is that you could very well be with somebody whose coping mechanisms are not good, right? Like they're not actually favorable. They just don't know another way. And they figured out something that works, you know, to soothe them, but there are healthier ways. So when you're in these partnership incompatibilities, it's an opportunity for the two of you maybe to be partners in growth and to expose that Mm -hmm. person to a different way that could be more helpful for them and also put them in a better position overall, and maybe even help alleviate stress in ways that they didn't think was possible. I like the word expose. It's like, it's less like, tell them that they need to do this, but just expose them, let them know, hey, you know, there's this that you could look into. It's, I, I know it's hard because people aren't always willing to want to change. But lastly, so for our single friends out there, I, <laughs> someone asked me that dating apps give them anxiety. It's not about like what to say or what picture to use. It's more like, they don't trust people because the internet to them is not a safe place. So they feel like they're signing up. I think this is probably true for a lot of straight women, maybe even the same for gay men if they're worried about someone catfishing them, you know, in order to do violence. I don't know, but this woman was particularly like, 
I am afraid that I'm just basically asking a murderer to come into my mm-hmm. life. I mean, it was it was almost like a phobia. It wasn't like cute little, you know, dating anxiety. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's that's the kind of anxiety that's like it's getting in a car. I mean, yeah, there's a risk. I think that, um, you know, making accommodations to your life or avoiding activities for your anxiety is healthy in some cases, right? Like I, I don't go camping because I'm afraid of bears. Are bears going to come to my campsite? Probably not. But it, the fact that I don't camp <laughs> is really not that much of my detriment to my overall overall happiness and wellness. Now, I'm sure an avid right. camper is like, you have no idea what you're missing out on. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't. And I'm completely fine with that. So I know. I don't even want to go glamping. Like none of it appeals to me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not attracted to, I don't need, I barely like traveling because I find traveling very harassing. So we're yeah. allowed to make accommodations for our discomfort. We don't have to push ourselves in every area. But if again, it's like preventing you from really significant additions to your life that would drastically improve the quality of your life, that's when I would look at it differently. I have a friend who is anti, you know, online dating as well, but mm. she's, has the most robust social life. So I'm like, you don't have to be on dating apps. You know, you go out frequently. She is a part of a gym. She's a part of multiple clubs and memberships. She is active politically. So yeah, for that kind of person, I'm not going to be like, you should really challenge yourself. It's the way of the future. Uh, Because you don't, you have a way that's obviously effective for you. Kind of similarly to somebody who's afraid of driving on the highway. You don't, have to lecture that person if they've never complained to you that they can't get places fast enough. You know, they have routes that are comfortable for them Mm. and it works and it's part of their way of life and it's fine. So the benefit of dating apps is it takes away the big stress, I think, when it comes to dating, which is I see someone that I'm attracted to and I'm completely unaware if they are available or interested um, and furthermore interested in me. So on a dating app, it like reduces to me 60% of the stress that comes with searching for a mate. Because if you're on a dating app, that means that you're searching. And if we matched, that means that you find me somewhat attractive and that we've got some opportunity here to see if there's something between us. So that in itself is like built into like your first 30 seconds of interaction with somebody. And that's what makes dating apps positive. Um, Yeah, the negative side is that it is accessible, right? And so with that accessibility, There are people who you would never talk to in real life who have an opportunity to see and get in touch with you. There are people who are not who they say they are, which again, in real life, you would be able to pick that up in a second, but on a dating Mm. app, it could take a little bit longer. But there's also these, like I I work with Bumble as their um, sex and relationship advisor. And it's incredible the additions they're making. They actually have something now like to make sure people are not catfishing where they have... Like they have randomized poses that you have to do. So it'll request like, hey, you have to take a picture right now of yourself by a tree with a peace sign. And if you can't produce that, then your account doesn't become verified that this is actually you. And then now the video app and the video chats have become really popular. And as a result of the pandemic, they're actually really common. So you don't have to wonder, oh, maybe they have a picture, but it's not actually them. Like you have an opportunity to go on these virtual dates first to actually vet people. So the apps are actually getting a little bit more hip to weeding out people like that. But yeah, there are still anomalies and there are still dangers that happen and you still, you know, have to put protections in place. That's with real life too, though. Uh, I just think that the technology is doing a better job of bridging that gap. I mean, again, no one's going to solve her irrational fear of murders. It's a good fear to have. You know, I think there's things to look for once you're on the date. If they're like, you know, I really have this cabin in the woods. You need to go. And I have an ax. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You know, I dug a big hole. Like, you know, look for those signs. But, um, you know, otherwise, I think it's anytime someone asks me something that's really big ticket item like that, like I'm afraid of murderers. I'm like, well, that, you know, no one's going to argue out of that. Like, okay, you're right. You know, what do you want? Permission to not date? It sounds like that's what you're asking. Well, thank you so much. You've been so helpful. I was not equipped to Wait, any... Wait, I found my list. Can I just read you, you found your li- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found my list of different ways that people can cope with stress. Um, and oh, I love this. It's especially helpful this is- if people have the same stressors. Okay, great. Okay, so there's a distractor. Then there's the dump truck, which we talked about somebody who dumps their stress onto one person. 
then there's a denier. So people who essentially reduce anxiety by denying reality or the facts around them or even exist or relevant. Then you have the intellectualizer, which I think is you. Um, then these, there's the empathizer. <laughs> so in times of stress, they just focus on the needs of others. And sometimes to the detriment of themselves, they ignore themselves. They These might even be like frontline workers or people who are just like, I'm here to help other mm. people. And they're willing to put themselves in danger. Not to say that, you know, all nurses are empathizers, but nonetheless, like that type of behavior. Uh, then you have mirrors, somebody who doesn't really know how to feel. So they just absorb the coping mechanism of whoever's around them. Uh, this person's never really kind of thought about like, how do I cope with stress? And this can be dangerous depending on who you end up yeah. being around. Then you have the projector. Um, they So they help reduce anxiety by attributing their unacceptable behavior to somebody else. Um, mm. And then you have the compensator. So the, they try to compensate for the real or imagined flaws in one area by excelling in another area. These might be the people who picked up guitar um, and slinky making during the pandemic. <laughs> so I have a question about the denier. Is it someone that just kind of denies reality in general or do they deny their friends and partners feelings? Does that make sense? So I'll read what's here. So psychological denier, denial is a common coping mechanism. An essential denial is an attempt to reduce anxiety and worry by refusing to accept reality or do anything about it. Many overly uh, optimistic and overly positive people are using denial as their dominant coping strategy. Sometimes the denial oh, okay. comes in the form of convincing yourself that you can't change an outcome. So why bother? Got it. Okay. So it's not like if someone's like gaslighting you, it's more about themselves and like denying the reality. Like they have no money in the bank, but they're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to look at their bank account. They're just going to whatever. The house is falling apart. They're just going to be like, whatever. I can't fix it. I don't, I don't have a roof or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, oh, I love your list. Oh, that's really helpful. Ugh. It's, it's a lot. It's hard to meet people and make things work. We are all so different. And like for the longest times I, I, have done this myself. I've talked to other people. Like I said before, I'm like, if I could just meet someone with the same baggage, I don't think that anymore. But <laughs> I used to have all these different coping mechanisms that I thought like this would be perfect. And it's, I'm never right. I'm just never right. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's such a, there's a billion different things that go into play. It's hard to make a best friend. It's hard to meet a gym buddy, right? It's hard to meet a cuddle buddy. So when you're trying to combine all these various roles into one person, like, yeah, it's it's tricky, but that's the magic of it. When you figure it out, you're like, yeah, this is what it's all about. Do you have any advice for, we'll end on this. Do you have any advice for like, let's say you're dating someone and it's going well and they're great, but you're, you're just, I don't know, you get anxiety by being in the relationship. Do you have a like, what what would be a healthy anxiety and what would be like, oh no, that's not anxiety, you're you're sensing red flags and you're, that, that's, that's bad anxiety. Like get out, get out. Is there, is there any kind of like quick measure for people to take a temperature of like, how do you know when the anxiety you have in a relationship is healthy or when it's like, oh, actually that's kind of a sign. Uh, I would change the factors and see if the okay. feelings change. So change environments. So maybe we always meet at their home and they always come to my home and I'm stressed if they think my house smells um, or we always go to a restaurant and we're worried about the bill. So you may not, you may be again, like misplacing where the anxiety is coming from. Um, and maybe it's that you're not giving yourself an opportunity to be the best version of yourself because you're so obsessed with trying to be who they, you want them to be. So start hanging out with friends, you know, and see if having your usual mm -hmm. comfort group around changes things. So keep making adjustments um, to the factors surrounding that person. And if you find the feeling isn't changing, and no matter what the circumstances are, I probably would look at the person uh, rather than something individual that you have to fix. Genius. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I was not equipped to answer any of my listeners' questions. I would have been telling everyone to get a divorce. Don't go on dating apps. <laughs> so you've probably saved a lot of people um, some loneliness and some uh, saved them a lot of anxiety. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope that it was fun and helpful for you. And I hope you remember that awkwardness will always be there no matter what you're doing. And a sense of humor could never hurt. That's just my, my two cents. I'm always throwing that in there. Just a sense of humor, a sense of levity around anxiety, especially anxiety with sex. Sense of humor, guys. Sense of humor. We're all just humans. 
maybe some of us aren't humans. I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but let's get into the takeaways for this episode. So in arousal, there is excitement, but there is anxiousness, and sometimes it is hard to tell the difference. Shan has named turn-on triggers, which are similar to love languages. Not everyone gets their sexual engine revved in the same way. So you have to learn what your turn-on triggers are, and you will only learn by tuning into yourself and experimenting. A sapiosexual is someone who likes to feel mentally connected to people before they feel sexual desire. It's really important to be in tune with yourself so that you can know if you're experiencing sexual performance anxiety or some kind of cultural outside pressure-based anxiety. Arousal confusion is the experience of the risk-reward system in the brain being activated. Adrenaline and cortisol are heightened, and it could be because you're about to have sex or it could be because you're on a roller coaster about to have sex. It could be because you're extremely stressed out in your life as well and you're about to have sex. Couples can experience the same kind of stress and anxiety, like as we saw during the pandemic, couples were going through the same thing at the same time, but it's the different ways that they cope with their anxiety that can be where the disconnect is. It's not that they don't understand the other person's anxieties. The different styles of coping, the different types of person you can be as as a coper are the dump truck, the distractor, the denier, the intellectualizer, the empathizer, the mirror, the projector, the compensator. None are good or bad. You just have to know what you and your partner are so that you can understand why you are either unable to help each other with with your anxieties or why you're not seemingly understanding each other despite going through something similar. And if you think the person you're dating is causing you the anxiety because maybe are there red flags, is something not right, change up the factors and the environments that you normally get together in and start to see if your feelings change. And don't forget that anxiety is a natural part of life and so therefore it is going to be a natural part of sex. It's an activity where the risk and reward center of the brain is activated there will be some, hopefully, excitement. Thanks again for listening. If you want to send an email, again, that address is anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. I won't say your name on air. If you don't want me to, just please indicate that in the email. As always, I would never read your email address out loud. I would never say your last name or your location or anything like that. We do have a few more listener email episodes coming up this season please, please give the show five stars. You can write reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, post about it on your social media, use the hashtag Anxiety Bites Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Both are at Jen Kirkman. And please tell a friend about the show. I think those are all of my commands for you. Just remember, Anxiety Bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.